Welcome to the Beyond Ordinary Women podcast. Every two weeks, we post podcast versions of one of our free training videos, or you can access our videos now at beyondordinarywomen.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Beyond Ordinary Women. I am Sharifa Stevens. I'm esteemed to be your host today, and I am very excited about this episode of Beyond Ordinary Women. We have a wonderful guest with us. Her name is Reverend Dr. Amy Peeler. The Reverend Dr. Amy Peeler is an associate professor of New Testament at Wheaton College and associate rector at St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Geneva, Illinois. She received her BA in Biblical Languages from Oklahoma Baptist University and an MDiv and PhD in New Testament from Princeton Theological Seminary. In addition to teaching, preaching, and writing, Reverend Dr. Peeler enjoys running, CrossFit, and time with her husband, Lance, a church organist and liturgical scholar, and their three children. And if you want to know more about the Reverend Doctor's incredible, incredible accomplishments, you can visit our website at beyondordinarywomen.org. Reverend Doctor, welcome. We are so glad to have you. Wow, that's a thank you so much. Your excitement is a blessing to me. I'm really glad to be with you today. Well, your book has been a blessing to me, and I wanted to make sure I showed everyone <laughs> this book because you want to go out and get it. It mm. is Women and the Gender of God. Um, this is a book that we are talking about specifically here in this venue, because of course, um, Beyond Ordinary Women exists to equip and support women in ministry. And I see um, how vital your work is in encouraging and empowering women to go forth in ministry. I'm really, really honored to be able to talk to you today. Um, do you mind if we like just dive right in? Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So I'm kind of a Marvel Cinematic Universe nerd. Cool. Yes. Yes. My kids have acquainted me to this. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so one of the beauty of being a Marvel fan is basically being a fan of the hero's journey. Yeah. And the hero's journey begins with an origin story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to ask you, what is your origin story? What mm -hmm. impelled you to write Women and the Gender of God? Wow, that's a really fun question. When I was in college, I started out as a math major. That's really funny to me now. Um, my mom is a high school math teacher, so I think I wanted to be like her. Oh, that's amazing. And pretty soon, though, I uh, decided that math, I didn't want to spend time in calculus. And so I changed to uh, counseling. I wanted to do marriage and family therapy. I loved the one-on-one, -on -one, hearing people's issues, journeying alongside but as a junior, I took a few electives in New Testament, Greek. I took a class on the life of Christ. And within the first week, I had changed my major to biblical really? study as a junior. So that's kind of late in the game. But I was captured. I had always been a very spiritual child. I had always loved academics and books. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you can put these things together. I want more. 
And so in many ways, that is the origin story. And I'm so grateful for the mentorship that I had from my professors, from several members of student development who were invested in the lives of students. Mm -hmm. When I started asking questions about how do I do this forever, they had ready answers and support as I began that path. So my desire to teach scripture was birthed when I was 20 and has never died out and is even deeper and more intense uh, this day. So I'm so grateful that I get to do something I fell in love with so early on. Yes, that's wonderful and also inspirational because what I'm hearing is not only the spark that was ignited in the academic setting, but in the so in your social setting, right. and I'm presuming also in your family. Yes, you didn't in in, in you didn't encounter any opposition to your passion and your dream. Oh, that, that's such a good question. No, I would not say opposition, but I would say questions. Really? Uh, my, my, my father, when I called and told him I was going to change my major from psychology to biblical languages, so Greek and Hebrew was my official major, he was not too excited because his first question was, how are you ever going to make money doing that? <laughs> Which a is parent's a perennial question. question. Exactly. And psychology, you know, you can sustain yourself, right? Um, I love that as I journeyed farther along, when I got into Princeton, my dad about burst his buttons because he saw, I mean, you know, uh, that name was something important to him. He saw that, oh, I'm going to make it. Um, he passed away several years ago, seven years ago. It was just last week, actually. So he's been on my mind. Mm. And I believe that, you know, Christ's death defeats death, yes. but I, I, I'm sometimes sad at times that he hasn't seen what um, a wonderful life this has been for me, but yet I think he knows in some way. Uh, the other question, of course, literally that same week that I asked myself was I'm female and I know there are scriptures that say that women can't teach men period, or especially theology and Bible. So mm -hmm. I started asking that question at the same moment that I was discovering my love for scripture. And so those in my own life, those that love and that question have been ever tied together in the working out of my vocation. Yes. Well, let me tell you how that resonates with me mm -hmm. and so many women who I'm in conversation with um, who love the Lord and who want to be obedient to yes. God's word. And depending on who you ask the question yes. of what the role of women mm -hmm. in ministry is, right. Right. you'll get a myriad of responses. Yes. Yes. So, which is what makes me excited about mm -hmm. this book, um, mm -hmm. because um, as, as a young person, in similar circumstances, I was given different answers right. than you. Okay. Um, okay. Wow. And I just love that because, especially because of the internet and because of socials and because of video, you right. can speak now yes. to all of these women who maybe need, who maybe didn't take Greek and Hebrew, of course. but would love to know. Um, more about the God who made them, 
Yes. And the God who put this desire in them mm, to right. study. Right. So, and not only to study, but to, to minister right. um, and to free them up to do that. So, mm, okay, where to begin? Because you have so many tasty, delicious things <laughs> to say about, <laughs> about Mary. Mm. Um first of all, your juxtaposition in the title, I think is, is really apt for what we're going to receive within it. I think it's fascinating, the contrast that you um, bring up in, in the title women and the gender of God. Yes. Um, so tell me a little bit about the title and what that is supposed to evoke in us as we read, because it's, to me, it's a big clue. Yes, no, you're exactly right. I think the title, and I was so benefited by conversations, both with colleagues here, I have some of the most amazing colleagues in the world at Wheaton College, and with the editorial team at Erdman's, who are very insightful, and I really appreciated. They know the world of marketing. I had no idea. The beauty about this title is that on one hand, it is provocative. And I wasn't going just for provocation, but my editor said, oh my, that's going to make people want to pick this up. And it's been interesting on social media to see <laughs> people's assumptions. Yes, <laughs> the immediate assumption is that I think God is a woman. Uh, and and I understand that, but I say, you know, if you would take a moment and go read even the description on the public <laughs> website, you'll know that's not what I'm doing. Read the blur, um, people. Right, right. It's just a few sentences, really. Um, <laughs> but but that it's arresting, but it is precisely what I'm doing in the book. On one hand, I am allowing women to ask, or if they're already asking it, hopefully to find some answers to the question, where do I fit in God's story? What is the place of women in the Christian narrative? And as I stated at the beginning, my deep conviction is that God values women, yeah. period. I, I might not needed to have said anything else, but the whole book is in support of that sentence. And then I think there's, I could have gone about a book on Mary. I found such riches in her story in the New Testament, but it became clear to me at some point that if I celebrate the valuing of women as displayed in the story of Mary, I also really need to wrestle with the assumptions that by virtue of the language of scripture, maybe God is male. Now, not many Christian theologians would, would say that, not any really, right. but is God maybe better stated? Are men more like God than women? Are there qualities in God, leadership, initiation, that men are more proximate to? They can more easily replicate than women. Right. I don't think that's the case. And of course, I needed to wrestle with the issue as feminist and womanist theology has for many decades. What do we do with the fact that the Savior who has come, who is the revelation of God, is male? Right. Is there a distance between women and Jesus? And so really the book is those two things and the interweaving of her story, the incarnation as an answer to those challenging questions about God. I thought that you, um, in your um, thesis, you really beautifully um, demonstrated the confluence 
of creation and the image of God in mm-hmm. both women and men in mm-hmm. your treatment mm-hmm. of Mary and Jesus and your discussion of God as father and what, what that means. Right. And you had a very fine line at times uh-huh. Uh-huh. to um, thread between the, the praxis of discussing yes. God as father Right. versus the orthodoxy mm. of God as father, but not as male. Right. Um, right. Guys, you just need to get the book and then you'll understand <laughs> some of the nuance, but we, we could start discussing some of sure, it. Sure. Um, sure. I wanted to know for our audience, Yes. what do you believe is the most urgent misconception Mm -hmm. about Mary that you would love for everyone to immediately correct? Yes. Oh, I thank you for that question. I see a different answer based on what portion of the body of Christ you occupy. I grew up Protestant. I am still Protestant. I teach at a Protestant school. That's where I know the best. Those are my people. Speak to the Protestants. I'll speak to the Protestants first. Uh, (laughs) In my experience, and this resonates with many students with whom I discuss this topic, Mary is absent. Uh, There's a great quote that in some areas of Protestantism, Christianity has become a boys club. (laughs) Yeah. Only men can lead. Uh, God, the father, Jesus, the son, and we use masculine pronouns for the Holy Spirit, as actually I think we should. Maybe we can return to that in a moment, but sounds incredibly male. And when you don't have any remembrance, save maybe a moment on Christmas Eve that you think about Mary, there's a gaping hole there, actually. And so the most urgent and pressing reality in many spaces of Protestantism is let's just remember her. Mm. And we do so in no way, right? There's, I think in some previous generations, there was a real fear of, oh, I look at some areas of Catholicism. It looks like they're worshiping Mary. I don't want to do that. But the pendulum swung in the direction of complete dismissal. And neither is that healthy. This is how God chose to save the world. (laughs) And so that means we should pay attention to it. So her presence would be my admonition. Since I am not Catholic or Orthodox, my observation of those brothers and sisters is that at times, and really this is documented in the literature by Catholic scholars, so I'm not saying this as an outsider, that at times for them, Mary has become so elevated, so in the like echelons of holiness, that then her story and the value her story might bring to women is absolutely disconnected from any normal human sinful woman. Yes. So she can mean, what what does it matter if God has done this work for her? It doesn't apply to anyone else. And that seems to me a disjunct and not, I think, the best reading of the New Testament text, nor actually the best reading of Catholic theology. Sometimes that plays out in a misunderstanding, just as there are many misunderstandings in Protestantism, right? We don't live out the faithfulness of our doctrine. So I think there are different critiques or crises that I would see in, in those two different directions. Thank you. That is an excellent response. And I know, um, for in my journey, as I um, read and reread the Bible, 
Um, and also recall the things that I've learned and discussed in seminary. I just appreciate Mary more and more because her witness is not only in the explicit words of the Magnificat, but in just the remembrance mm. of giving birth, just right. the testimony of the gospel that yes. account for what happened when mm. she was pregnant, what she heard as a witness, yes. um, we wouldn't have it. It wouldn't exist without her. Right, right. I mean, so, right. I, I say and say, like God could have chosen to save the world in any way. This is God's prerogative of being God. But God chose this way. And what do we learn about the character of God? God's great humility, God's willingness to enter in. And it seemed to me that we can learn a lot about the questions of our own sexed embodiment as men and women also in the mode of the incarnation. Yes, there was, I, I don't want to give a horrible paraphrase of your beautiful words, but no. there, there was a section that talked about Jesus as the one who nestled and suckled and, yes. Yes. Um, and was in the womb of this human woman. And we need to take time to honor the God who said this womb is sufficient yes for me right yes 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 oh anyway and I I'm, love only, it. I'm only evoking and I hope um readers might kind of dig down into my footnotes uh because that that's such a feature of Christian poetry yeah. actually Ephraim the Syrian is an early and a powerful example how do we deal with the paradox of God becoming human and I think in some ways I get dulled to the power of that statement yes in christian poetry and i i quote from denise levertov and she's amazing more contemporary poet of how do we have turns of phrase that get us to wake up and pay attention to god was a baby <laughs> god was a baby yes yes that god was willing and no lack of god's magnanimous majestic presence god was willing to be humbled that way it feels to me as a different approach to Paul's powerful hymn in Philippians 2, yes. being in the form of God. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. I, I'm only learning from Paul and taking this to the gospel narratives and investigating God's humility. Yes, it is the yes and amen to what is already there. Right, right. Absolutely. Exactly. So. The next question that I had was, um, I noticed and in reading the book uh, that those who advocate for a masculine God are also inversely telling us how women are to be defined. Mm, so great observation. Yeah. Can you comment on mm. how uncoupling mm. maleness from God is good news for both Men yes. And women. Yes. Yes. So my entry point by virtue of the fact that I'm women and in my own vocation, uh, frequently have young women who are coming asking me these questions. When we truly see God as God and not project upon God creaturely categories of maleness or masculinity, 
then the transcendence of God and also the grace that we are created in God's image, women are able to, I think, with full confidence, confidence step into their blessedness as creatures of God. So that's that's a good thing for them. I also think that is a really good thing for men. I'm very much an includer. I don't, I think that's some kind of like personality trait. Maybe everybody is, but I always feel like really bad if someone's left out (laughs) that way as a kid or like if my kids have friends over, I'm like, did you invite everyone in your class? Cause I don't (laughs) want anyone to feel left out. So in writing this book, there were times in which I was really worried or nervous that men would feel left out, but in learning from colleagues and other scholars who write about masculinity studies, I was so encouraged to learn that that tethering of God and masculinity can be a great burden upon men. (laughs) Hey, you are more like God, so you really better be like God. Yeah. And that can either be a constant reminder of how they fail, <laughs> yeah. how they fall short, or it can be a temptation to an abuse of power. Absolutely. And I think recent years have disclosed that even very faithful men can fall prey to that temptation. Yes. If you think you are God in an institution or you are God's representative, it gets very difficult to discern when you've transgressed the boundaries of respect for others. Yes. And that that's a burden that in some ways there are many challenges of being a woman and navigating Christianity. But I look at my brothers and say, you have challenges too. Absolutely. And praise God that God is God and no one else is. And so we are neither distant from God, nor do we have to be like him uh, when that is not good for us. Yes. I love how emancipatory the message is to free men uh, to be human. Yes. um, To be fully human. Yes. And to free women also to see themselves as co-equal heirs. Right. And and also equal imagers. Yes. Exactly. I'm with you. Oh, that's a good word. Emancipatory. Uh, Thank you. It's, it's a message of liberation. It mm. takes the burden away. Wow. Because it, let, it lets God be God. Right, right. Yes. So next question. Sure. I loved the way that you highlighted both Mary's ascent, her mm-hmm. yes to bear Jesus and um, used her Magnificat, both of yeah. those things as examples of her courage mm-hmm. and her praise and her submission to God. Yes. But also, um, you demonstrated her clear-eyed view of her own value and strength. Right, right. So there is no self-deprecation in her? No. Can you talk mm-hmm. a bit about what Mary teaches us? Yes. About how we approach ministry as servants mm-hmm. of God, as women, as people who can be confident? Yes, yes. I discovered this delicate, but it seems to me perfect balance as I sat with the Magnificat. And and I should say that very much was being with the Greek text, doing the exegesis, and that was a gift, 
but I was also very influenced by Christian art here. And, and I just think that's, that's an important piece to name. I yes. to get in my head, but I am married to an artist, a musician and his love for church music. Many of your listeners will know that Christians have been singing Mary's song for hundreds, if not a thousand plus years daily. Yeah. And that's kind of amazing. And so listening to the choral treatments of the Magnificat has fed my soul now for several years. Mm. And so hearing the strains of music, reading the text, and what you see there is this praise of God, right? That's the word. My soul doth magnify the Lord. God is the focus. And yet it, whose soul is doing it? My soul. That's right. And, and Luke, this is an interesting point. I don't know if Mary herself, the young teenage Jewish girl in Galilee, said the precise words that we have written in Luke 1, because I think she probably spoke in Aramaic and Luke is giving it to us in Greek. So there's a beauty of her testimony. I absolutely think she's one of Luke's eyewitnesses that he interviews. How else would he right. know this if he hasn't spoken to her? Right. So she gives him the story and then he, in great respect to her, crafts this poem and gives us these words. So I think her own spirituality, her own relationship with God is communicated in the tenor of this hymn. Mm. He would have known her to be, you know, those saints of the Lord who just know who they are in God and there's no yes. pretense or pride, but a steadiness that's who she was in the few decades after this happened. Like she was a woman of the Lord. Yeah. And Luke displays that in the perfect poetic balance of this song. She and God, there is no, she is no doormat. No. She's fully who she is, total confidence. And yet her confidence is just because she's praising God. There's a space in which when I stand at my classroom, when I stand at the pulpit or the Eucharistic table, I stand strong and tall with my head raised. God willing, and I, I have discerned that I'm not standing in a place of pride, but testimony to what God has done. That's right. And I would hope that all, so many times I see in the body posture of young women a cowering, a head down, a doubt, a not sure. And it takes years to come to that place. I wasn't that at 20. And there's lots of process, lots of tears and wrestling along the way. But my hope for women would be that I think God desires for us to stand upright. Yes. By his grace and his grace alone. Yes. I think that that is... Um... That's also a testimony to Mary as yes. a much younger person who, um, in the face of a celestial being, in the right. face of right. Gabriel, still exercised, um, and you you brought this out in your book, still exercised an inquisitiveness that right. was bold and earnest, um, still pondered things in her heart. She was a collector of information and and a filter of wisdom in, in how she interacted with so many people like Simeon and Anna yes. and Gabriel. Um, 
with the supernatural as well as the people around her in filtering what truth was going to imply for her life as a mother and as a follower. Um, and it's so empowering to see that um, in the witness of scripture, mm -hmm. especially when there, there is this trope of Mary as mild, right. passive, um, willing, but not necessarily giving her the credit of discernment yes. or, or having such a relationship with God that she mm. trusts, trusts God with her, everything, yes. her soul, yes. her spirit, mm -hmm. her body. So I think it is powerful for you to highlight the, her courage mm -hmm. and the fact that though she was humble enough to refer to herself as a servant right. Right. of God, that that is her unction to self-designate as such, yes. because yes. she knows that in, in God's hands, she, she has protection, blessing, grace, and favor. Right, right. There is a part of the book, and I wish I could find it. You know, I dog-eared so many things. <laughs> there's a part of the book that I will paraphrase. Sure, and sure. We can we can end with this. Mm -hmm. Um that really struck me because it talked about um the wedding at Cana oh, and goodness. the mission of God, not mm. just, um, you, you know what I'm talking about? I do. I like, do. Keep going. Keep going. But it's, it's like the mission of God goes beyond, um, just our needs right. to our abundance yes. and how yes. lavish and gorgeous, mm -hmm. um, the, the water turning into wine at this wedding mm -hmm. was, where Jesus was like, woman, it is not yet my time. Right. <laughs> but okay. Yeah. How, <laughs> how you highlighted in this story, just Mary, knowing who her son is, her son saying, okay, it's not my time yet, but I'm going to bring honor to this, this household today. The family is going to receive this honor for having the save the best for last the servants are going to receive this incredible witness mm -hmm. to the miraculous and jesus is a person who you would invite to your wedding party exactly. because exactly. he's fine yes. it's like he's not too holy for the wedding right. so you brought out all of this and so mm -hmm. i wanted to know if you could share with us a few last words of encouragement to uh, our audience about this God of which you speak, the God of not just survival, but abundant. Yes, yes. Thank you for, for naming those things. Maybe a very brief story about that. Almost all of those discoveries in the text came years ago when I was invited to a church to preach, and that was the passage of the day. Okay. And that was, I, I wanted to pull out my Bible. It would take me too long, I'm afraid, but I had a note in my Bible of, and I think it was 2016. Uh, it might've been 2015 when I preached a sermon on that text and everything that you've just named 
I discovered then mm. and then continued to write and work on it for the next five, seven years before it came out in this book. But that's just a little vignette that often that is what preaching feels like to me, that God has something to say and I just am faithful to do my work and receive. It's really not my words or my discovery, but it's God community. I hope that doesn't sound too elevated. I don't mean I'm speaking the words of the Lord, but maybe that's what inspiration and prophecy is. <laughs> and, and so I love like discoveries that I made years ago are now bearing fruit. And so my encouragement would be this. If women are feeling distant from God or hurt by the church or by the institutions of Christianity, and that's not all, I want to speak also to the women who say, I'm really loving God and Christianity. And I hear all these stories about women yeah. who are hurting. Is there something wrong with me? No, there's nothing wrong with you. Celebrate that you've not had some wounds yeah. that others have had. But if you're in that place of even questioning or feeling wounded, please don't give up on encountering God through scripture. I've spent a lot of time thinking about the Lord and these topics. I've read a lot of scholarly books and a lot of theology but the baseline is the God I meet in this revealed word every morning. Even me now when I have questions, Lord, why is the world broken? And what does this mean? I'll come to other hard texts. I'm like, God, I don't, what are you doing here? Right. If I'm willing to sit with it, like Jacob, this is an important image for me, like Jacob wrestling with that angel. I'm not going to let go of this text until I get a blessing. Right. Please don't turn off the Holy Spirit's ability to minister to and heal and restore and to bring you to places of abundance. If you can't feel like you can pray, and sometimes people don't, right? if you feel unsafe in church spaces, maybe you need to pause for a moment. I'd say don't pause for too long because I think God works within the body, yeah. works with others, but yeah. please be willing to open that text. And that God will will meet you there over time. It won't be instance, won't be maybe the light at the moment, but but God is good to reveal himself in that word. Yes. It's simple. Maybe it's not at all. I, I'm a very different human being than I was when I was a little girl, but maybe I haven't gotten too far from my roots because mm. I was taught to read the Bible and love it. And that's where I still am today. That is a beautiful place to end this interview. Um, and I hope that everyone in the audience is encouraged. Um, God, the God of the Bible is a God who is with us yes. right now. Literally, we worship Emmanuel, God Absolutely. with us. And yeah. so, and I understand when people sometimes can't crack it open. Can't crack right. it That's open, true. That's true. Can't, yeah. can't pray. Yeah. And God is still with us. He is, God is strong enough for our doubts yes. and our silences and yes. our pauses and our weaknesses. Mm. And he is, he's, mm. look, there's audiobooks as well. Like we, we don't have to crack it open. Right. There are ways to have encounters with God. And one um, way that I appreciate is the witness of his people. Thank yes. you, Reverend Doctor for your witness in this book mm -hmm. um everyone who's listening or watching 
please go to www.beyondordinarywomen.org to find out more about Amy. She said I call her Amy, but I'm calling her Reverend Doctor. She earned those. Right. Um, To find out more about her um, and this book, Women and the Gender of God, um, it's an encouragement. Mm -hmm. If you have any other questions, I'm sure that you can go to our website for materials and you can get more information about Reverend Dr. Peeler, and to be in touch with her and see what her work is in the world. Yes. No, and I I love, I'd love to add to what you said there, because I never would want my admonition to be in scripture to feel heavy handed. I think that's so important. But because even if you can't approach God at all, I think of the prodigal son, the statement in Revelation all day long, God says, I have opened up my hands to a disobedient people or hurting people. God's never going to give up on you. And so even if you need to pause for a little bit, so yeah, may, may, may the spirit work. And uh, yeah, I'm very open. Sometimes people email me, Hey, I don't know you at all, but uh, I have a question about this. I love having those chances for encounter. Um, I'm trying to be faithful to email. Sometimes it takes me a day or two, but uh, never be hesitant to reach out. Uh, And of course people have, you know, physical flesh and blood people around them and that's better. But uh, if you want to shoot me a question, I'd love to hear it. Thank you for your generosity and thank you for your time. Thank you for listening, for watching Beyond Ordinary Women. Thanks for listening to the Beyond Ordinary Women podcast. You can find more podcast episodes and resources for women in leadership by going to beyondordinarywomen.org. This podcast is produced by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministry. Our production team includes Evelyn Babcock, Kay Daigle, Deborah Herring and Sharifa Stevens. Theme music, Back in Stride by Don Miller, used courtesy of Christine Miller.